0: Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. I hope you had a good weekend. It's Monday, September 21st. I'm Nyla Budu. Here's how we're making you smarter today. Ruth Bader Ginsburg's legal legacy, plus the Emmys Adapt 2020. But first, what's next for the Supreme Court is today's one big thing. So it was this incredible scene on Friday night after the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg was announced at the Supreme Court that has sent all of Washington, D.C. into so much activity all weekend. Mike Allen is Axios' co-founder, and he's here to talk about what's next this Monday morning. Good morning, Mike.
1: Well, good morning, Nyla. And I'm jealous you were actually at the Supreme Court on Friday night. What was it like?
0: Mike, it was really remarkable. There were hundreds of people there on every step of the Supreme Court, young people and families and older couples and college students. You just saw all these people walking towards the Supreme Court with flowers and lighting candles. It was very solemn. That said, Mike, we have this turnout that continued all weekend at the court, but there was movement all across Capitol Hill. And by that, I mean among politicians. So, Mike, I wonder if we can talk about the politics of this first for President Trump. What's his next move?
1: Sometime this week, President Trump will reveal his pick to succeed Justice Ginsburg. Now, our sources say it's down to two women, both of them federal appeals court judges. So the most likely By far, Amy Coney Barrett of Chicago. Conservatives love her. The other person, it might be Barbara Lagoa. What's most likely to happen, Niall, according to our sources, is they are going to barrel ahead, but they recognize that they may not be able to get that vote before November 3rd. So the vote itself may wind up happening sometime between November 3rd and November 30th. Now, that's risky. Because at that point, it's possible Joe Biden wins. It's possible that Senate Democrats win. And if so, there will be a lot of pressure for President Trump and Senate Republicans to step back.
0: Much of the conversation among the Democratic Party this weekend has been about the fact that when President Obama was in this situation, Republicans refused to confirm a nominee because they said it was a presidential year. Where does that leave Democrats now with Mitch McConnell now saying... Well, we're not doing that.
1: Both sides tell me that they think that President Trump will wind up with his third justice and a 6-3 conservative majority on the Supreme Court, which is just an astonishing for four years transformation. Democrats are already talking about revenge. They tell me Look, there's no rules now. This is total war. And so if we get control of the Senate in the November elections, we're going to try and do a lot of things we've been talking about for decades but haven't been able to do. So add justices to the Supreme Court. As the Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer said, everything's on the table. If they get a blue wave, they are going to surf it.
0: So where does that leave Joe Biden?
1: Joe Biden's going to try to portray the court fight through the lens of healthcare. We're gonna hear him talking about it a lot as a referendum on coverage and pre-existing conditions. Axios Hans Nichols reports that Biden needs believed they were winning when the race was about COVID. So now they're gonna try and keep that going and say that healthcare is on the ballot with this Supreme Court fight. And Naila, they think that it helps them with young people. And this is a rare last-minute chance to get a second look from independents who are worried about healthcare. care.
0: Mike Allen, Axios' co-founder, with lots of thoughts and analysis on this. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it.
1: Now I have the best week.
0: We'll be back in 15 seconds with Ruth Bader Ginsburg's Impact on Our Laws. Welcome back to Axios Today. Sam Baker is Axios's resident Supreme Court expert. Sam, if we're going to remember one thing about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her legacy in this country, what would it be?
2: I think the big picture of her legacy really is what she represented. Obviously, she was a Supreme Court justice, but it's really more in the cases that she won as a lawyer before she was ever on the court, which all really added up to a landmark series of victories about women's legal rights. It's this interesting series of cases that she brought and that she argued that just bit by bit got the entirely male, relatively stuck-in-its-ways court at that time to see sex discrimination was a thing and that laws that treated men and women differently, even if they were well-intentioned, maybe they just shouldn't be doing that in the first place.
0: And then when she was on the court, she wasn't necessarily winning these cases. Maybe some of her most famous cases are where she's dissenting, when she's in the minority.
2: Exactly. Her most famous dissent was probably the Lily Ledbetter case, which was a sex discrimination case. Lily Ledbetter was paid less than she deserved because she was a woman. And the issue came down to, did she have to sue within a certain amount of time of when she was first discriminated against or Could she sue once she found out she was being discriminated against? There's a universe in which that's just a narrow question about statutes of limitations, but Ginsburg's dissent helped elevate it. The court does not comprehend or is indifferent to the insidious way in which women can be victims of pay discrimination. Today, the ball again lies in Congress's court to correct this court's parsimonious reading of Title VII. And Congress did fix it. Just a short time later, they passed the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act, which essentially reversed the court's decision. So she did get it done, just in a different way. And then I think after that came to represent the sort of symbol of commitment to women's rights and to the liberal cause generally. And I think what she represented in society is the most important part of her legacy.
0: Sandbaker is our resident expert on the Supreme Court. The 72nd Annual Emmy Awards, like everything else this year, very different. Sarah Fisher is Axios media reporter, and she's here to talk about how the Emmys adapted to this cultural moment. Hey, Sarah.
3: Yeah, I think that they tried to address all of the cultural moments of 2020. It wasn't just the pandemic and just essential workers, but you also saw a lot of talk about the election and mail-in voting. So there have been a lot of moments in this Emmy Awards that are meant to be a reflection of the year that we've had. And Nyla, the big picture here is they need to make this show relatable because they need viewers. And what we need to understand is how the pandemic is going to feed into this trend or bucket.
0: Sarah, we should talk about the award show itself. And basically, I can sum it up, I think, in two words, which are "Shit's Creek. Yes,
3: "Shit's Creek swept all of the seven categories at the top of the show that were announced. So not unprecedented. We saw HBO's Game of Thrones won 12 Emmys last year. Usually dramas are the ones that rack up tons of these awards. But "Shit's Creek, amid such a stressful year of Americans, is really resonating
0: which we heard in Annie Murphy's acceptance speech. And I'm, I'm so proud to be a part of a show that stands for love and kindness and inclusivity and acceptance, because those four things are things that we need more than ever. It's definitely been my favorite pandemic viewing, I will say. Sarah Fisher is Axios's media reporter. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Nyla. That's it for us today. Thanks to Chris Russell, who captured the violins on Friday night on the steps of the Supreme Court. You can reach our team at podcasts at axios.com. You can find me on Twitter at Nylabudu. If you want more news before tomorrow, tune into our afternoon podcast, Axios Recap. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.